Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Salt Lake 2002 Retrospective Podcast, a back-of-house look at the planning and delivery of the Salt Lake 2002 Olympic Winter and Paralympic Winter Games, as told by the very people who organized them. I'm your host, Christian Napier, and our guest today is Donna Providenti. And it's interesting how we actually made this connection because a previous guest, Alan Shaw, emailed you, said, hey, we should have Donna do this. And you very, very graciously agreed to come on. So Donna, thank you so much. Welcome. How are you? I am excellent. Uh, thank you so much for having me. This is so wonderful that you are gathering all these stories of this you know, incredibly special time. Well, it's a huge amount of fun for me. And I've really enjoyed all the stories that everybody has shared. It's just been a ball. But before we get to the Salt Lake stories, I kind of want to know what you're up to these days. Like, where are you joining us from? Uh, right now, I'm in Montauk, New York, which is at the end of Long Island. I'm in the Corona uh, hotspot hiding. And uh, right now, mostly what I'm doing is homeschooling, <laughs> cooking, cleaning, etc. So we are in about week eight of quarantine here in New York. So trying to stay sane. So I appreciate you having me on so that I could have my husband take the kids out of the house for an hour. So I'm thrilled to be be with you right now. Well, we're very happy to give you an excuse <laughs> to, <laughs> to break up that routine a little bit. But I can imagine it's got to be incredibly challenging with children. You mentioned homeschooling. That's That's got to be hard. Um, that is a word. That is one word for it. It's just challenging. It's hard to be your child's um, teacher, coach, mother, best friend, playmate. You know, it's it's a lot. And everyone who's doing it knows that. Right now, I'm not working full time. So it's uh, I feel very um, lucky that I can have the time to dedicate. I know some friends who are juggling, you know, two very uh, high stress, powerful jobs that uh, along with children, even younger than mine, mine are eight and 11. So the older one's a bit more independent. But the eight year old, I'm pretty much nagging all day. <laughs> so but we're having, you know, and in, and in all that, there's moments that are just magical. Us all being together so much, um, being outside a lot together. It's been, uh, it's been a bit of a roller coaster, is I guess the only way I can describe it. But we're all healthy, so I'm uh, inc- incredibly grateful. Well, roller coaster is a word that's been commonly used to describe the situation that we find ourselves in these days. And I have to say, yes, it has been a mixed blessing, you know being sequestered or sheltering in place has been a challenge. But at the same time, we have found interesting ways to interact with each other within our household and also within our family who are not living with us, but we can connect through, you know, FaceTime or, or yes, other means. The, the family Zoom calls are um, super fun. We do that on Sunday nights and we've had a lot of special guests like cousins we don't always see, you know, nieces, nephews. It's been, it's been a really um, interesting new part of our family dynamic. So yeah, good, you know, like anything, innovation comes out of necessity. So we're uh, getting creative here in New York. It's definitely, um, you know, people really are being serious about it as we're trying to kind of get things under control. Well, I mean, your state has suffered more than any other state here. What's going on is just mind bogglingly unimaginable. I mean, Yes, I never, <laughs> I never, I, we, my wife and I were just talking about this. Like we never last year would have, would have suspected that anything like this could possibly happen here. And now we're living it. It's just really, really weird. Yeah. And it'd be interesting to see how, um, 
how it unfolds through next winter. You know, there's this is a long road. So it's uh, and just taking it day by day, I guess, is the best we can do. That is the best that we can do. And that's all that anyone asks. Is <laughs> yeah. to, you Sorry, do I don't want to get all philosophical. Do. We're supposed to be talking about fun stuff. We are going to talk about fun stuff. Let's talk <laughs> about fun stuff. Okay. Pandemics, not fun. Salt Lake 2002, <laughs> fun. Very so let's fun. go yeah, to fun. Salt Lake 2002. Tell us your story about your journey to SLOC. What were you doing before then? And how did you end up joining the committee? Um, so I was living in New York City. I had uh, started my career in uh, accounting and corporate finance. And I had switched to sports a few years before I arrived in Salt Lake. So I had um, quit my high-paying <laughs> corporate finance job to become an intern at the NHL, much to my family's dismay. Um, and from there, I went on to work at the 99 Women's World Cup uh, for the local organizing committee in New York, where I crossed paths with Alan Shaw. Uh, so we have known each other a very long time. And when that ended, I went back to the NHL for a contract. And Alan um, let me know about some jobs in Salt Lake. And I had always regretted not getting myself to Atlanta in 96. So I said, I, I've got to do this. you know. But I, I had a life in New York. But there was just something pulling me to have this experience. So I uh, came out, had an interview, didn't know much about what they were speaking about because I had kind of had more of a marketing ticketing sales background, but Alan got me an interview in the event management department. So I went with it, uh, met some amazing people and they took a chance on me. So I moved out there in about February uh, 2000. So I was there like about two and a half years I lived in Salt Lake. Now, had was that the first time that you had been to Salt Lake City? What did you think of Salt Lake City uh, when you first got there? Uh, when I moved, I mean, where do I start? It's uh, you know, it's quite different than New York City. I remember my my only like uh, my one criteria for an apartment was that it needed to be I needed to be able to walk to something like a restaurant or a coffee shop or something. So I lived in the avenues, and I could I could walk to some like very random little Chinese takeout place, and I think I went there once. But <laughs> but I um, I moved to the avenues, which was I just loved. It was great. It was the first time I'd ever lived by myself because living in Manhattan, you know, you share a place with several people just to make the rent. So that was something new to me. I mean, Salt Lake was. Um, you know, the whole LDS community, really lovely people. I, you know, just really enjoyed that whole experience. Definitely different on the nightlife scene, you know, all of that. But once everyone started arriving from all over the world, I mean, we had our own, uh, I always say we were like an expat community living in Salt Lake City. Um, one of the best things I would say about was the lifestyle. Just, I didn't really understand when people left at five, I was like, where are they going? <laughs> what are they doing? What what do people do at five o'clock when they leave work? You know, that just wasn't how it was in my whole career so far in the, in New York City. So I learned to uh, go hiking and go mountain biking and do all sorts of things that I had never really done. Um, so I really learned about like what work-life balance looked like. Now, tell us about your role specifically in the organizing committee. You were brought on. You mentioned event management. What exactly were you doing? So I came on in the event management department. I think my official title when I arrived was project uh, coordinator. I ended up becoming the general manager at the Deer Valley Resort, the competition resort where they had 
the freestyle events, aerials, moguls, and slalom. But for the first year I was there, I was uh, paired up with uh, Colin Hilton, who was the um, kind of in charge of the Park City region for the event management department. So I became like his shadow and I just went everywhere with him and learned crazy amount in a short amount of time. So um, forever grateful that I got that opportunity and that I ended up getting paired with him and that I got to be in Park City, which was fantastic. Um, so, you know, as that went on, a lot of our original uh, work in that department was really liaising with the venues and the city to just get them comfortable with all of the plans and things. And I just learned um, from him, you know, we would go to these somewhat painful <laughs> city council meetings and just listen to people and minutia. And he just had was so patient and so um, uh, consensus builder. I just, I learned a lot during that, that lead up time. And then um, as we got closer, you know, we did test events and all of those those things. And then I eventually went on uh, my own to Deer Valley. So you mentioned Colin uh, and I mentioned that we interviewed Chris Crowley a couple of weeks ago, your counterpart there in Park City. Who are some of the really interesting or inspiring people that you worked with during your time there in Salt Lake City? You may still be friends with them to this day. Uh, yes. I'm, I have so many uh, kind of lifelong friends now from Salt Lake, but uh, Chris Crowley, you mentioned, uh, he and I started, I think the same week, um, him coming from San Francisco and me coming from New York, it was pretty hilarious. And we were seated in the old office, like at the very back of a, of a room. And it was like a half cube. It wasn't even really a full cube. We had to kind of slide in. <laughs> so he just made me laugh, you know, for, for years. Um, always brought levity to every situation. I, when I first arrived, um, I was living at the Homestead Suites, which that might ring a bell to some people who were transferred out there. And, you know, I'm coming from Manhattan and one day I pull in after work and there's like uh, uh, police tape. Okay. So, uh, and they, like the room next to me, there had been a shooting. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I'm coming from Manhattan and this is like where I'm actually scared sleeping, like straight up in my bed at night. So Needless to say, the next day I ran out to uh, and got finalized my apartment lease. <laughs> but so anyway, that goes back to um, my probably you could say that would be part of the uh, the sh changing uh, situations and things I learned moving to Salt Lake. But as far as people, um, I would say, you know, the people at Deer Valley were just pretty uh, tremendous. Um, Bob Wheaton, who was the GM of Deer Valley, became a very uh, amazing mentor to me. He just was so generous and kind. I knew so little about kind of uh, skiing um, and about winter sports, but was always so gracious. And we just had a great working relationship. Chuck English, who was the director of operations as well. Um, probably one of my favorite people I met at the games was um, Charlie Windsor, who was a was assigned to Deer Valley as the venue construction manager, but he was like a life, uh, a, a longtime resident of Park City who was a builder. So he was probably, you know, my father's age, I want to say. So he technically, I was his boss, which is kind of hilarious. And um, no one was the boss of him. I can tell you that much, <laughs> but he brought such um, fun and levity to every situation because he would always be like, you all need to relax. None of you understand, um, have any perspective because you don't have kids. Uh, who I mean, I could go on and on. I, I ha would have to say that 
you know, Jim Brown, Doug Arnott, our bosses in event management, also just amazing. And Frit, uh, Mitt and Fraser. I mean, I don't know if anyone's mentioned them. I just think they ran such a um, strong organization that it really kind of made the rest of us be able to do our job knowing that they we were going to be able to pay for the games. <laughs> we were going to, you know, uh, be able to deliver on everything we promised. I feel like they just ran a very tight ship. And I was really, it taught me a lot for my whole career going forward as well. Well, you've mentioned all the important people. So everyone else who wasn't mentioned yet, I'm sure they'll they'll contact. Hey, uh, how come you didn't say anything about I can, me? I can go you know? on and on. Just meeting some of the nicest people uh, in my life, really. Well, I feel the same way. Uh, I feel the same way about working with the Salt Lake Organizing Committee. It was uh, um, an incredible team. You know, we we worked really hard, but we had a lot of fun. And uh, you know, there's not much more you can say than that. It was just it was. A, Difficult job, but but tremendously rewarding and satisfying. Absolutely. What are some of your fun stories? What have, what have, what have you got here in your little inventory of memories that you can share? That that uh, when you think back to those, it just brings a smile to your face. Um, I would say working at Deer Valley was just um, there were just so many um, interesting things that happened there because you were working at this like very kind of. Um, you know, premier resort. And we were like building right in front of the front door. I mean, um, I would say like something that just always makes me laugh is, uh, John Ashcroft, you know, was the attorney general at the time. And after nine 11, he came, uh, for a visit and he apparently wanted to, you know, hear our new security plans and make sure everything was good. But we sat in this little office. I remember we prepared and prepared and we get in there and it was very clear that all he wanted to do was ski. <laughs> so we started, um, we started going on our presentation and he was like, I could just tell, you know, and the secret service agent is like sweating and I'm like, okay, let's just, let's just wrap this up. So he was like, okay, ready to go skiing. So then I was like, wait a minute, like I'm skiing with John Ashcroft. So I ended up taking him around Deer Valley at him and his wife. And I was like, you know, that's when you, when you like, you know, pinch yourself, like, is this really my job right now? This is hilarious. So we would, we were skiing and he had this one piece ski suit. I'll never forget. And he had, you know, the little bumps that kind of uh, form on like the runouts to the, like the ski lifts that people like jump over or kids jump over. He would like get in a tough position and do these little hops. I mean, it was just, I just remember that day as, as a highlight and just one of those things where you scratch your head and are like, this is just, I'm so lucky that this is actually my job. This is crazy. So I got to ask you, did he go on any difficult runs or was he on the, <laughs> he was, the bunny hill the whole time? He was, uh, he was rocking the greens and the blues and he was having the best, he had the best time. I've not, you know, it's so fun to ski with someone who's just enjoying themselves and he certainly was. You weren't ever thinking, oh man, what if he runs into a tree and he gets a concussion or he falls into a coma and oh. it's going to be international news that I took this guy <laughs> out on the slopes and he went off piste and he whacked his head on a, on an Aspen. <laughs> I, I fortunately was not thinking of that. So I was able to just enjoy the experience. 
think his wife was the one who was more concerned about him than me. She kept being like, we're not going down that one. We're not going down that one. And Bob Wheaton was me and he was with me. So he is the, you know, he was kind of the one really in charge. Oh, that's awesome. What else you got? What other great stories do you have to share with us? Uh, let's see. Um, here's one story that has had, has haunted me for years um, in terms of people just like to retell it. So it's like the beginning of February, you know, we've been on site at uh, Deer Valley for at least a month or so living in, you know, our trailer park and using our portalettes and all of that living in a parking lot. And so I'm going to the trailer, I think with Charlie, who I mentioned and our event architect, anyways, a bunch, a bunch of people from the team. And I am complaining about my, uh, you know, having to go to the bathroom with your radio on. And I'm like, oh, thank God they have that shelf on the side of the portalette so I can put my gloves and, and things. And they all, all the guys in the trailer just start dying laughing. And I'm like, what, what are you talking about? They're like, Donna, that's a urinal. <laughs> and I was like, what? So they took like the one guy took the gloves off my hands and like threw them in the garbage and was like, we're going to get new gloves right now. <laughs> so we walked up to like the Deer Valley, um, uh, you know, whatever ski store and I got some new gloves that day. So that story has been recounted to uh, different people uh, through the years and people love to tell that story. Well, the funny thing about this, aside from the obvious, is that you started recounting this by saying that you were in a trailer park in Deer Valley, <laughs> which uh, conjures up all kinds of oh, no. weird exactly. uh, visuals in the mind because Deer Valley is the antithesis of trailer park, right? It's a very ritzy area. And of course, the trailer park were temporary uh, structures there to to help manage the delivery of the games. But when you say trailer park, that vernacular sounds like well, well you, you're in a double wide out there on the west side of Deer Valley, you know, uh, you don't even have yes. indoor plumbing. <laughs> it is all true. Yes, we uh, we set up right at their front door. I mean, that was that was part of the angst of the whole situation. All of that um, during the lead into the games. Um, I'll tell one more story. I, I remember um Jan middle of January, probably. And we're, uh, Bob Wheaton is like, meet me here. And we, we were taking a few runs and had talking and there was no one on the mountain. Like no one was on the mountain. So all I can think is like, you know, and he looks at me and he's like, you guys think you paid me enough for this? Because, you know, we paid them to kind of for the, what they thought would be their lost revenue. But I knew that there's no way what we were paying was covering what was happening the entire that entire year. Nobody came. Just people, I think, thought that the whole mountain would be, um, you know, uh, taken up by the games where in reality, it was just a very small part of the mountain. So, um, you know, he was I was like, I think it's going to you know, it'll it'll be OK. And I remember being completely worried about it. Like, no, 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 it's going to be this place is going to be huge afterwards. And, and now I go back and there's the St. Regis and there's the montage. So I think it all worked out fine for them. <laughs> I do remember in that moment, um, just actually feeling really bad. Like what if he made, what if they calculated and made a really bad decision having this event here, you know, and is it going to, um, give them what they wanted, you know, the name recognition kind of changing their image from being too snooty to, a little bit more fun, you know, with having the freestyle um, events there, which it has. They host World Cups there every year. 
They hosted, I think, the World Championships. So I think it has um, really paid dividends for them. So I think uh, in the end, it, it all worked out. It did. You know, you mentioned the World Cup events. In fact, my daughter earlier this year went to the World Cup event there in Deer Valley. It's a great place for for freestyle skiing. And and it was an awesome venue. I remember going to competition there uh, and, and watching, and it was just a ton of fun. We had a lot of spectators, and uh, it was great. Do you remember, do you have any specific memories of the competitions that were held there while you were managing the venue? Um. Yes, I I would say the the thing that sticks out in my mind the most is right before the Olympics we had a uh an event there we had a World Cup on New Year's Eve. So December 31st uh, 2001 we had a World Cup event and we had and we weren't done building the bleachers. Like we were trying and trying and trying and I remember like I was in the bleachers pulling you know construction debris out and trying to get it ready and the building inspectors there and Charlie the guy I mentioned is trying to get the seal, you know, the certificate of occupancy. <laughs> We're just, and Bob Wheaton being like, is this going to happen? You know, and I, people are coming and it was a gorgeous night. And so we got the COO and then Charlie said, <laughs> I remember Charlie being like, pick up the rest of the trash and meet me in the trailer. I don't want you in the bleacher. <laughs> so we all just like sat in the trailer, like waiting for it to be over and everyone to leave because we were so nervous. I mean, it was all fine. Obviously the building inspector wouldn't have let us uh, open, but I do recall that we, uh, we worked on that, that, uh, bleacher a lot longer in, <laughs> up until the games. So that was a, it was a crazy night. I remember during the games that we really didn't have many issues. And I remember the woman who worked in the event communication center, always wanting to like send some information to the, you know, the infamous mock downtown. We really didn't have much to report. That was the truth. We had pretty good weather. Um, and we, we really had a, just a very easy schedule. You know, we only had seven days of competition, so we weren't live every day. We weren't like Utah Olympic Park that was cranking uh, things out every day. So we, we got really lucky. I would say the month leading up to the games was pretty ugly with the weather. And just, you know, when you're trying to build things in bad weather, it just was pretty painful the lead up. But then once we opened gates, it was, you know, when, when the sun shines, all is forgotten, you know, in events is what I've learned over, <laughs> over my many years in the business. Well, it's interesting. You mentioned about the main operations center, the venue managers are trained and they have this belief, right? That we solve everything locally and uh, we don't escalate to the mock because we can handle it. And so if you're in the main operations center and you're not hearing things, you're like, well, they must be withholding information, right? Cause uh, mm -hmm. they're not escalating any issues to us, but I can say from the Salt Lake standpoint, a lot of things just got handled. They just got taken care of and, and not a humongous amount of things needed to be escalated to the main operations center. Yes, definitely true. And, you know, we were working within a, you know, an, op an operation that operated, you know, however many days a year that they're normally open. So you had all of, you had all of our, uh, slock staff plus all the volunteers plus you had all the Deer Valley staff. So it was a pretty well oiled machine and they, they held us to task. We, there was no room for us to be, uh, not at their level, which is very high. So it was, you know, to be in that environment and to learn from them was also something that I've taken with me in my career. Now, one of the challenges that Chris mentioned, Chris Crowley on his uh, 
podcast interview was the challenge of transportation. You know, oh, and, yes, and, I, I blocked that out. And and, uh, <laughs> and and Deer Valley for people who are listening and aren't familiar with with the geography there, right? The it's it's further in than uh, Park City even, and and so transportation always a challenge in in uh, games, winter games particularly, and particularly up in the mountain venues. What were some of the transportation challenges that you felt like you faced there and what did you do to resolve them? Um, I I know Adrian Nardi, who is our transportation manager, was, um, you know, was fantastic. And we had this specific, uh, I mean, one of the problems when 9-11 happened, all the perimeters got pushed uh, further out. So the drop-off at Deer Valley was pretty far out. So the staff had to, I mean, the um, so the visitors at this point had driven to a park and ride, you know, off of Route 80. They'd gotten in a bus. They'd been on the bus in the traffic getting, to, you know, and then they get out and they have to walk like 20 minutes and then up a mountain. <laughs> you know, so, so we ended up um, like lining volunteers and people were like cheering them on. It was almost had the feel of like a 10K, like at the end. <laughs> it's like cheering people to get to the, oh, wait and stand in another line at the security Um uh, magnetometers, you know, and then, then we're going to cheer you up the hill because you have to walk on snow to get up to the stands, you know, so it, we kind of tried to make it as much fun as possible. Like when they arrived, they were arriving as annoyed as they may have been the moment they stepped off the bus, which I'm sure they were, it, they were there, they were at the event, even though they were still probably a good half an hour away from the event. We tried to make uh, the experience begin the minute they got off of the um, transportation. Uh, center. I mean, the other transportation issues, you know, I just remember a lot of calls of people just showing up at the venue, you know, at the front of the venue in a car and saying, you know, I'm trying, I don't want to drop too many bad names, but some famous uh, NHL owners, I might say, <laughs> just thinking they could just get in their car and drive anywhere they wanted and be allowed in, you know, so there was a lot of those kind of calls that showed up at the, um, I'm, I'm spacing on the name, the place where cars went to it's get uh... screened. At the um, uh, VSA, um, v, yeah, venue, VSA, USA, venue security access. Yes. So they'd be already in the queue at the VSA and they'd be in the tent and then people would realize they didn't have the right parking thing and they didn't have the right credential. And, you know, so I'd have to, I spent a lot of time out there trying to just like get people out of their cars and be like, okay, I'll walk you in from here kind of thing, you know, cause you, we didn't want to upset anybody, but you know, the Olympics that they, they could have easily got, there's a million ways for them to get there. Um, through the protocol system that people just, you know, they don't like to, they don't like to be told what to do. <laughs> so there was, there was a lot of that. And then, Oh, can I get free ski passes? That was also the other thing at Deer Valley. Everybody wanted to ski there. So a lot of people would um, show up just expecting that their credential would let them ski. You know, there was a lot of that. So, you know, it was all ticky tacky stuff. I have to say like we, our big problems were before the event, we had our um, venue, architect uh was also part of the jerry anderson team that was at the super bowl so since jerry kind of needed to be in salt lake uh todd barnes who's awesome person was at the uh, super bowl so he arrives so we're trying to build a venue without him there the person who had designed the venue right so we just would look at his plans and like scratch our heads and be like i don't know what he i'm not really sure what he meant is this exactly how we should be doing it so there was a lot of winging it Having him not there was definitely uh, a challenge for Charlie and I, but uh, it was what it was, and every everything worked out fine. You know, the, I think I think Chris mentioned I listened to Chris's um, 
podcast. And I think he mentioned something about like those snow terraces, that whole idea, like a great way to sell more tickets was to build seating platforms made of snow, (laughs) which really looked great on design plans. But in reality, you know, the weather was going up and down and, you know, you had thousands of people standing on these things, trampling them and then leaving and trying to recreate them. So the people who worked on the mountain um, from Deer Valley and all of our volunteers that worked under Jeff Chumas, our sport manager, just did um, an amazing job keeping the field of play uh, safe as well as all of the spectator areas. Because, you know, Deer Valley's not used to having, I think our capacity was about 14,000 people at a ski event. I mean, that's a lot of people to be in a little tight space there. It's not like they're lining the course. The courses are small. Uh, for moguls and for aerials. So they're all in the finished corral area. So we had the bleacher and then we had these snow corral, uh, these snow terraces. So it was a, it was a kind of a very interesting thing building a bleacher onto the side of a snow covered mountain. <laughs> something I have not done, something I've not replicated in my career. Well, speaking of replicating things in your career, what was your career post Salt Lake? And what were some of the the lessons that you learned from Salt Lake that you've incorporated into your career? Um, I let's see. I after Salt Lake, I went I uh, worked at a small agency out in Lake Tahoe, California, did a, a few more skiing things, um, worked with Red Bull, uh, putting on more ridiculous events in the Olympics, <laughs> but with, without any rules. Um, and then I eventually made my way back to New York, back to home. And I linked up with uh, um, someone who had worked in the 96 games, uh, Dan Mannix, who was a friend of a lot of my friends in Salt Lake, said, this guy is starting an agency or has started an agency, has a few people. He's looking for people. You should just meet with him. He knows everybody in New York. And we always tell the story. He and I, when we would pitch business, I met him for lunch and like was chained to my desk for the next 15 years. <laughs> so I um, met Dan. I signed on to this uh, small agency called Lead Dog Marketing Group. Uh, about like I don't know, 12 people at the time, something like that, and did events in the sports space in New York, in New York City, and all over the country. And uh, we grew that. I became one of the partners and. We grew it to about 150 people, 200 people, and uh, we sold it a few years ago in 2016. So it now lives under uh, CSM Sports Marketing. So I still do consulting for them. Um, but I stepped down about five years ago as the COO to uh, be home more with my children. And I just do work for them uh, part-time for the last, I think it's it's almost been five years at this point. So... I always thought, you know, if we take care of people and they know that they're safe here and taken care of and that we have their best interest um, at the forefront of everything we do, everything else works itself out because you can't get people to work. Uh, you can't tell people they need to work really hard. They need to want to and they need to want to because they're part of an organization that they are connected to. And I think I felt that in Salt Lake and I always took that with me. Um other things from Salt Lake, again, I think the Deer Valley, the commitment to excellence, just um, seeing that up front, day in, day out, you know, the, the GM picking up garbage when we're out for a walk, you know, like those, the little things, I think, always stuck with me as if you're going to run a business, you have to 
um, be excellent at it. Go above, really go above and beyond what anyone would ask. Well, I think those are excellent lessons. I forgot about Lead Dog. I, I remember hearing about Lead Dog through Alan. I've worked with Alan for, gosh, I don't know. Well, ever since Salt Lake, you know, we've, mm-hmm. we've seen, we've run into each other on projects and so on and so forth. And I consider him a really good friend. And, you know, he's one of the relationships from Salt Lake that I, that I treasure to this day. You have been so gracious with your time. And I want to make sure that we can wrap this up before your children come back home <laughs> and need your t- attention. So, so let's get to our assignments. Uh, number one assignment was to think of a song that reminds you of Salt Lake 2002. It doesn't even necessarily have to be a song that you like, but it could be a song that you hear and it's like, oh yeah, that just totally reminds me of Salt Lake 2002. Um, there's two that come to mind. Uh, one kind of venue related. There was a, uh, that song bare naked ladies was really big at that time. And, you know, they were coming to play at the Olympic medals Plaza and there's that song pinch me, I think it's called. And the opening line, we used to play it because in January, like I think the opening line says um, it's the perfect time of year somewhere far away from here (laughs) because it was, and I'm feeling fine enough, I guess, considering everything's a mess because it just, it was January was just a mess and we were, building out right and um, this like very um uh you know fancy resorts front door and i just remember always thinking oh my god this is this can't look like this and this is a mess and that used to be like our theme song on the venue um all right well we've got that one uh, and actually our that. very our, our well the very first person i interviewed darren hughes oh really he picked that song pinch me from bare naked ladies yeah, i have another one if you want yeah let's hear the other one um uh, better than ezra there's a, a song called extraordinary and i went on a um we went on a lake powell boat trip you know uh, one of those boat trips like 10 of us from the organizing committee and every like afternoon we would go on like a sunset cruise and we would all blast that song and like dance on the back of the boat and i just every time i hear that song it takes me right back to that uh that moment okay perfect better than ezra we're going to add that to our spotify playlist so listeners you can just uh, go to spotify and look up or search for salt lake 2002 retrospective and you'll see the playlist there with all the songs that have been selected including donna's song from better than ezra now let's talk about the food donna was there a particular place that you liked to go? You mentioned you lived in the avenues, but there was a place to the, near the office or there downtown where you like to go to eat breakfast, lunch, dinner. Um, I always, uh, has anyone said Ichiban, the sushi place? Yes, we've had a few oh, people say oh, Ichiban, okay, yes. Right. Where, let me think, what about uh, Tuscany? That, Nobody has said Tuscany yet, okay. so we'll definitely, and that's not um, right there downtown, but uh, definitely we'll put that one on the list, Tuscany. Yes, that was in the avenues, and it was, is it still there? Do you know? I don't know, actually. Yeah. I'll have to look. It was, a really, it was a really neat place, neighborhood place where you could order really good food. Um, okay. Anything else? Well, those were the, the food places. Then the oh, last okay. question was simply, is there a moment that's really a defining moment for you? I know you've got a million memories, but is there one that really particularly stands out that's a very emotional moment, a goosebump kind of moment for you? Uh, one, uh, I would say... The um, there was like the weekend before the games, we get a call like on Saturday evening saying, you know, let's meet all the general managers need to meet on Sunday um, morning at such and such place. I can't even remember. And we get there and 
we got to uh, Jim Brown, I think, had organized or maybe Doug had organized all the venue managers getting to go up in Black Hawk helicopters to take an aerial tour of all the venues, which in translation, it was really more of a boondoggle. But we took these helicopters. So these are like such good friends. And we all got to have this experience together right before the game. So we get into two helicopters and we fly, you know, up to Ogden. We flew in the helicopter down the downhill course, like really low. I mean, it was just like one of those moments that was just amazing. And then we flew all the way to Sandy, um, to see, you know, we're looking at the outside of, of arenas. I don't know what we were doing, but we, we um, just had such, I mean, really, really just a special, special memory. And of course, the closing ceremonies, I think probably everyone says that, um, you know, I made such amazing friends and we all got to kind of regroup that night, be together, you know, realize it was the end of something really special. Yeah, a bit bittersweet, a bit bittersweet um, when it all yeah. ended. Um, just going back to the Black Hawk helicopters, did anybody get sick, like airsick uh, <laughs> flying around in those helicopters? No, I think everyone had like a huge smile plastered on their face. I think no one could believe that we this is where we were because we weren't told, right? So we just arrive and all of a sudden it's like, I want to say we got in like, you know, some other slot vehicles and we ended up on the tarmac somewhere. And that was just, and you know, it all happened so quickly that it was just really... Um, people were just taken by surprise. So it was just one of those moments in life where you're like, again, I have to pinch myself that this is my, my job. Well, kudos to Doug and or Jim Brown for organizing I'm that. not sure who organized that, but uh, it'd, be, it'd be fun to get one of those guys to participate on this podcast as well. That'd be a lot of fun. Uh, I will. Uh, I will get working on that. They're both, All right. I, I'm sure they have, they have the real stories. I mean, let's be honest. Yeah. Yeah. They've, they, I, I know they've, there's no shortage of uh, good stories from those <laughs> from those guys. Okay. Well, this has been a huge amount of fun, Donna. Now, if people want to learn more about the things that you're working on these days, the consulting that you're doing, is there a good way for them to get in touch with you to reconnect on social media or otherwise? Sure. You know, I'm obviously on Facebook and, and things. I'm uh, dprovidente at csm.com. You can get in touch with me there um, or on any social media channels. So. I'm around. I have a lot of free time now if anyone wants to uh, reconnect. All right. Fantastic. Donna, again, I very much appreciate the time. It's been a lot of fun. Listeners, please like and subscribe to our podcast and we'll talk again next week. Thank you, Christian. 